Hey guys, and welcome back to the Mysterious Benedict Society Read Aloud podcast. This is episode 13, and today we'll be reading chapter 16 and 17, but first, a recap. So in chapter 15, the children learned that the messages in the classrooms are somehow connected to the messages that the sender is sending out with the messengers. The Stiggy was up really late, and so he fell asleep in class. Martina Crow laughed at him, and so Kate tied her shoelaces together with her toes, and she fell on her face. So now Kate is an enemy of Martina Crow as well. <laughs> uh, so that was pretty much it for chapter 15, so let's read chapter 16. Chapter 16. Poison Apples, Poison Worms. That afternoon in class... Jillson lectured on a national economy. She also spoke about education, crime, the environment, war, taxes, insurance, health and medicine, the justice system, and fruit. You see, Jillson said near the end of the lesson, all these terrible problems are the result of one thing, bad government. Don't get me wrong, government is a good thing. Without government, you can solve none of the world's horrible problems, unless you have a bad government, in which case the problems only get more terrible. Sadly, all the world's governments are bad ones, like a poison apple. Here, Rennie's ears perked up. Our governments look beautiful, shiny, and wholesome from a distance. But once you've partaken of them, they prove quite deadly. What's more, they shelter more than one wicked official, like poison worms in that poison apple. Poison apples, poison worms, Rennie thought. That was another hidden message phrase they'd heard that through Mr. Benedict's receiver. He wasn't surprised. He knew the classes were connected to the hidden messages, but he did wonder exactly how it all fit together. He felt sure he could figure it out, if only. Without warning, Rennie's mood shifted. His optimism drained away, and he was suddenly angry with Jilson. Stupid, lecturesome Jilson. And not just Jilson, either, but really, he was angry with just about everybody he could think of. It was an unusual feeling for Rennie, and very distressing. He felt as though the walls were pressing in on him, and though he wanted to get up and kick and run from the room, he felt like yelling and kicking things, preferably Jilson. What was going on? Was the pressure finally getting to him? Completely frazzled, Rennie laid down his pencil and glanced over at Sticky, who was glaring at his quiz as if he wanted to tear it up and toss it into a fire. Oh no, Rennie thought. He's bungled it somehow. For a moment, he felt mad at Sticky too, but then Sticky, catching his eye, nodded as usual and gave a feeble thumbs up. It wasn't the quiz then, and now Sticky was staring at Rennie with a concerned expression, which was how Rennie realized he was scowling himself. He looked over at Kate and Constance. Both had their heads in their hands and looked ready to scream, and yet none of the other students seemed affected in the least. So why would only the four of them? Martina's poisoned us, Rennie thought. He was immediately convinced of it. Martina had slipped something into their lunches. Perhaps she'd ordered the helpers to do it. All his anger now flowed in Martina's direction. When the class was finally over, it took Rennie several seconds to realize why the other students were getting up and leaving. Jilson was staring at him and his friends, as if they were a bunch of lunatics. "'I said go,' she barked. "'Or do you want to stay here all day?' All four of them boarded from their desks. They needed an emergency meeting. Most students were headed to the gym to play games before supper, and Mr. Curtin was not in his favorite spot. The plaza was deserted. The children crossed to the farthest corner, making sure no one was in earshot, and all began talking at once. "'Are you feeling what I'm feeling?' Rennie asked. "'What is this all about?' Kate said. "'So you feel it too? I think my head's going to split open,' Sticky said. 
My first thought was that Martina poisoned us, Rennie said, but... Poison, Kate said? No, I don't think so. This is all in my head. Rennie and Sticky agreed. It wasn't a physical problem, exactly. It was something else. But then, what was it? The three of them became began comparing their symptoms. Only Constance said nothing. She listened as the others talked about how irritable and angry they felt, as if they were engaged in a furious argument. And as they spoke, she seemed to be shrinking. It was Rennie who noticed this, that Constance, with a look of anxious befallment, had begun to crouch down as if to protect herself from an attack. Constance, what is it? Rennie asked, his brow wrinkling with concern. What's wrong? That's... that's all? Constance asked in a weak voice. You kind of just feel annoyed? Extremely annoyed, Kate said. Really, I've never felt so cranky in my life. So you don't... you don't hear? Constance trailed off. She didn't have to finish. Rennie couldn't believe they hadn't thought of it right away. The experience must have rattled every bit of sense out of their heads. Hadn't Mr. Binnick specif- specifically predicted this? Most of us feel simply irritable and confused, Mr. Bendick had said. Essentially, the way we feel now whenever the television is on and the messages are being broadcast. Mr. Curtin's boosting the power, when he said gravely. And when Kate and Sticky looked at him, still not comprehending, he said, It's the hidden messages. Our minds are reacting to them. Sticky gasped. Kate slapped her forehead. Of course, the hidden messages had begun to transmit directly into their minds. No more need for television, radios, or anything else. All the other students were undisturbed because, just as Mr. Benedict had said, only minds with an unusually powerful love of truth noticed anything was happening. So we can't avoid them anymore, Kate said. Well, that's depressing. I think there's more, Rennie said. He knelt beside Constance and put his hand on her shoulder. And Constance, for once, didn't complain. There is more, isn't there, Constance? Kate and Sticky looked from Rennie to Constance who was nodding and hiding her face behind her hands. She actually seemed to be fighting back tears. All of their minds were resisting the hidden messages, but Constance, and only Constance, could hear the messenger's voice. In rare cases, with exceptionally sensitive minds, Mr. Bendick had said, and here was such a case, such a mind, Constance contraire. The development shocked them all, especially Constance, who was so disturbed by it she spent the evening with her head under her pillow. She was no better by the time Kate smuggled her into the boys' room for their meeting. "'It might be useful, you know,' Sticky whispered, trying to cheer her up. "'A way to gauge Mr. Curtin's progress. On a really, really awful day, one of us might not be able to tell the difference between a normal bad mood and a hidden message mood. But if you can hear the actual voices, well then, you're like our canary in a coal mine.' A canary in a coal mine, Constance mumbled without looking up. Sticky failed to notice Rennie's warning look. Oh, yes. Miners used to bring canaries with them to gauge oxygen levels in the mine. If the canary died, they knew the oxygen was running out and they'd better get out of there. If the canary died, Constance repeated. Sticky looked suddenly regretful. That was perhaps an unfortunate comparison, Rennie said. The point is you're important, Kate said. Okay? I already knew that, Constance snapped. I didn't need all this mumbo-jumbo in my head to tell me, and I definitely didn't need Martina Crone there whispering it. She was the one doing the last message, in case you're wondering. I dislike her outside my head. I dislike her enough outside my head, much less inside it. In fact, I think I'll write an insulting poem about her. Although, come to think of it, Martina makes it for a tricky rhyme. 
Rennie, Kate, and Stiggy glanced at one another with cautious optimism. Constance seemed to be feeling a little better. They all were, actually. They had spent the evening adjusting to the hidden messages broadcast. There had been three more since Joseph's class, trying not to snarl at one another or smash their fists on the desktops or slam drawers. Studying had been positively excruciating, like trying to read while someone bangs out an annoying tune on a piano, and with fingers on the wrong keys at that. But an hour had passed since the last broadcast, and the children's moods had improved, which helped them focus on the fact that their situation, unfortunately, had not. The thing to come was getting closer. Mr. Curtin was not broadcasting his messages at full power yet. Otherwise, all four of them would be hearing voices, not just Constance. But matters had obviously worsened, and the children had only just arrived on the island. Were they already too late? What should they do? Coast is clear, Sticky said when he climbed onto the television and looked out the window. He took the flashlight from Kate. What should I say? Mr. Benedict will already know the messages are stronger, Benny reflected. He and the others are surely feeling it, too. Just tell him that Constance is hearing voices. He hadn't expected that. Got it, Sticky said, turning to the window. Constance hearing voices. Here goes. But don't use her real name, Sticky warned. Oh, right, Sticky said sheepishly. Of course not. Are you just trying to get me caught, George Washington? Constance grumped. Sorry, Sticky said, gritting his teeth, as he always did with Constance use his full name. I'll just say, um... He looked to the others for help. Rennie glanced at Constance, who was scowling impressively, ready to complain about whatever they suggested. Resisting the first thing that came to mind, Rennie suggested they refer to her as the smallest one. Constance grudgingly accepted this, and soon Sticky had sent the message. A few minutes later, he received a response from the mainland. Time is shorter than we thought. Thus, to get what we must be got, you must become what you are not. It sounds like you want us to push rush on things, said Sticky, climbing down from the television. Fine by me, said Kate. But how exactly? What does he mean? What must be got? Whatever it is, we have to become something different to get it, Rennie said. But what could that be, Constance said. They all looked at one another. None of them had any idea. They didn't even know where to start. Okay, that's the conclusion of chapter 16. So let's go on to chapter 17. Chapter 17 a surprising suggestion. The message broadcasts were hard on all of them. They felt one another during lunch the next day. It was Corliss Danton, according to Constance, which had them gritting their teeth, growling at each other, and fighting the urge to throw silverware. And another came during this evening, so they were compelled to study with their nerves being plucked like banjo strings. The last broadcast finally relented just as Rennie was closing his notebook. He laid his head on his desk in relief. I am so glad that's over, said Sticky, who had spent studying time lying on his bed grimacing. You finished? With an effort, Rennie nodded. They heard Jackson's booming voice in the hallway announcing lights out. I'll get the light, Kate said, dropping to the floor behind Rennie. Rennie gasped and fell out of his chair. Sticky banged his head on the top bunk. Kate switched off the light and clammed onto a chair to help Constance down from the ceiling. Maybe you should start knocking, Sticky grumbled, rubbing his head. And spoiled a surprise, Kate asked. Listen, Rennie said, scrambling back up. I've been going over Mr. Benedict's message in my head all day, and I think I'm starting to figure it out. What is it Mr. Benedict sent us here to get? Information, Sticky said. You think that's what he meant by what can be got? Just information? Secret information, Rennie said. Which is why we need to become messengers as soon as possible. We must become what we are not. 
Constance rolled her eyes. But that's obvious. We already know that. You're right, Rennie admitted. That's why I said I'm starting to figure the message out. I think there must be more to it. I'm just not sure what. Expect that we need to hurry up. We're going as fast as we can, though, Kate said. You boys are making perfect scores on the quizzes, and Constance and I... Well, we're doing our best, aren't we? She glanced doubtfully at Constance. At least I know I am. What's that supposed to mean, Constance said, frowning. I just don't want to speak for you, said Kate evasively. My point, Rennie interjected, was that we have to find a way for you and Constance to do better on the quizzes. Ugh, Kate said, heaving a dramatic sigh. She collapsed onto the floor, throwing out her arms as if she'd been knocked to flat. To tell the truth, I think I'm beyond help. My brain simply won't absorb that nonsense, no matter how hard I try. Same here, said Constance. No way can I improve on those quizzes. I'm too tired to study any more than I already do. Which is hardly any, Kate muttered. Constance flared. Let's see you study without vo- with voices spouting gibberish in your head. At least I've been trying. Hold on, hold on, Rennie said. Let's go back to Mr. Bendick's message. What can we think of that we are all not? Grown-ups, Sticky suggested. True, Rennie said gently, but I don't think we can hurry up and get older, can we? Constance pointed out that none of them were antelopes, eating, eating santelopes or textbooks with hexed looks, or cattle from Seattle. You're just trying to annoy us, aren't you, Kate said. Constance grinned. The fact is, Sticky said in a defeated tone, there are an infinite number of things that we aren't. Yes, but Mr. Bendick expects us to figure this out, said Rennie, so we should be able to narrow it down. Let's consider what he knows about us, something we all have in common, something that could be changed. He only just met us, Kate pointed out. He can't know that much about us, can he? Well, he knows we're orphans and runaways, Stiggy offered, then quickly added. I know, I know. We can't all suddenly have families, so what else? We're all gifted, said Constance. We all passed his silly tests. And none of us watches television or listens to the radio, said Kate, because of our minds, you unusually powerful love of the truth, right? Sticky scratched his head. I don't see how watching television is going to make us messengers any faster. Wait a minute, Rennie said, leaping to his feet. Our love of the truth. The others fell silent and looked at him. Rennie had begun to pace and whisper to himself, Become what we're not, to become messengers faster. And Mr. Bendick knows that we're not because... Yes, I think I have it. Kate shone her light at Rennie, who stopped in his tracks. His exultant expression shifted into one of doubt, and he squinted uncomfortably in the flashlight beam. He cleared his throat, hesitated, and cleared his throat again. Well, Constance demanded, what's the big idea? At last, Rennie managed to come out with it, and it was no wonder the others hadn't thought of it themselves, for what Rennie suggested was something that would never have occurred to them, something quite foreign to their natures, something none of them had ever attempted. They must learn how to cheat. It only makes sense, Rennie quickly explained, when he saw his friend's horrified expressions. None of us accepted Rhonda's offer to cheat, remember? That was part of the test. Mr. Bendick is saying we must become what we are not. Cheaters. So we all can become messengers more quickly. You've got to be kidding, Kate cried. That can't be what Mr. Bendick means. Stiggy was shaking his head. Didn't he choose us because we didn't cheat? Well, I'm all for it, Constance said with a snort. Let's cheat like the wind. Kate was appalled. I can't believe you two. Where's this powerful love of truth Mr. Benedict talked about? Rennie wasn't surprised by his friend's responses. He too had been wary of the notion when it occurred to him. 
were they not secret agents? Was not their very presence on the island a deception? Kate and Stiggy's reaction was just an instinctive response. He thought they would come around in a minute. Still, Rennie was troubled by Kate's question. Where was his powerful love of the truth? His mind resisted the hidden messages, but maybe not as much as his friends did. How could he know? Hadn't he been sorely tempted to cheat on Mr. Bendick's test when Rhonda had made the offer? Was he perhaps not quite the truth-loving brave so Mr. Benedict and everyone else thought him, him to be? Get real, Constance was saying. Mr. Kern is the big deceiver, remember? We can beat him at his own game. Kate and Sticky had their doubts, but they were less amended now. Sticky was polishing his glasses, saying he supposed it might be all right. And Kate had begun to pace, saying, It's just that I never imagined myself. I don't know. It's just hard for me to think that way. Rennie, do you really think that's what Mr. Benedict is suggesting? There's one way to find out, said Rennie, who really hoped he was right. Not because he wanted to cheat, but because if cheating was Mr. Benedict's idea rather than his own, Rennie would feel better about himself. Sticky sent their query at once. Please advise about cheating. A few minutes later, a light began flashing in the woods. Sticky relayed the message as it came. Do not. I guess that settles it, Kate said. There's more, said Sticky. The rest of the message was this. Get caught. I guess that settles it, said Constance. Cheating practice occupied the mysterious Benedict Society for two full hours that night. The moment the children received permission, they applied themselves to finding the best strategies for earning without learning, as Constance called it. None of them had ever tried it before, and at first they made a very poor showing indeed. But they were nothing if not quick learners, and by the time they called it a night, they all felt responsibly confident that they could cheat a cheater out of cheating lessons nine times out of ten. Their hard work paid off the next morning. The girls' quiz scores finally began to improve. Given her height and sharp eyesight, it was simple enough for Kate to sit behind Rennie and copy over his shoulder, while Rennie kept his paper at a helpful angle. Their greatest difficulty lay in watching out for witnesses, but Kate and Rennie were good at this, and their teamwork produced excellent results. In fact, they were so hurt by their success that not even the morning's hidden message broadcast in their optimism. Sticky and Constance's cheating strategy was more complicated. Constance was too short to copy over her shoulder, and note-passing was much too risky. So at last, Rennie's had suggested Morse code. Notoriously fidgety, Sticky signaled the answers by tugging his ear or tapping his temple. Motions he disguised with head scratches, collar straightening, and spectacle polishing. And Constance sat in the back roll, where none of the other students would notice her watching. The strategy worked, but not without problems. In the corridor between classes, Constance complained under her breath. Every time you have a real itch, I get the wrong answer. Sorry, Sticky said cheapishly. I get itchy when I'm nervous. I'll try to do better. Don't just try, Constance said. Actually do better. Hey, my fidgeting isn't the only problem, you know, Sticky hissed. It would have helped if you had practiced your Morse code at all. Constance's face turned so red. Her pale blue eyes glistened so brightly between her angry tears. And her wispy blonde hair was in such a state of dishevelment that she looked more like a small child's painting of a person than an actual person herself. A fierce display of vivid colors and odd proportions. She seemed to have stepped right out of a canvas for the sole purpose of throwing a fit. Now, children, Kate said in a motherly tone, stepping between them, let's not quibble about who's to blame. Blaming is wrong. The important thing is to get along with one another so that we may have better success cheating. Not funny, said Constance. 
but the joke did take the edge off her fury, and she said no more. Nor did Sticky, who regretted his outburst. Not least because it was imprudent to discuss cheating in the corridor, and even worse to mention Morse code. Was he crazy? What if he'd been overheard? The very prospect of the waiting room made him woozy. And so the morning passed, struggling to ignore hidden message broadcast, concentrating on the lessons, cheating on every quiz. The four had a bit more to think about than the other students, yet the boys continued making perfect scores. The girls were coming along nicely. The broadcast eventually let up, and by lunchtime, everyone is in an upbeat mood. At the same time, they were on high alert for clues. Between classes, they heard the rumor that Charles Peters, one of the oldest messengers of the Institute, was graduating. He hadn't been in class all day, and some executives had been seeing him without the, in the dormitory that morning. This was the usual thing, someone said. Graduates never spoke to a soul when they left. Apparently, they were too high and mighty even to say goodbye to old friends. They had no choice, said another student. The executives never allowed it. I wonder what that's all about, Rennie said, as they made their way to the cafeteria for lunch. Good question, Kate said, and here's our chance for some answers. She pointed down an adjoining corridor, where S. Cupidalian had just appeared, escorting Charlie toward a distant exit. Quick, you try to walk him while I distract S. Q. How do you propose to do that? Constance asked. But Kate had already dashed off down the corridor, and Rennie and Sticky were hurrying after her. S.Q. Hey, S.Q., Kate called out. I wanted to ask you a question about your lecture this morning. S.Q. turned to see Kate barreling toward him. I'm afraid I can't talk right now, C- Before S.Q. could finish, Kate took a spectacular fall. Her feet shot out from under her. Her arms and legs flew in every direction. Her bucket clanged and scraped against the stone floor, spinning up sparks. And at last, with her feet first in front of her, and then somehow behind her, Kate stumbled and slid to a stop a few yards away from Askewed, where she did a very convincing job of rolling her eyes back into her head. Kate! Askew cried, hurrying up to check on her as the boys came running up. Step back, he ordered. Give her room to breathe. As Kate made a great production of fluttering her eyelashes and rolling her eyes loopily about, Rennie and Sticky edged past Askew to talk to Charlie Peters who stood a little distance away, gazing impassively down the corridor, apparently not the least interested in Kate's fate. A terribly pale boy with pale eyes, pale hair and pale skin. Charlie looked like a figure made out of wax. When the boys approached, he didn't even acknowledge them. He wore a faintly confused expression, as if he couldn't see why he had to leave the Institute, why he couldn't just keep on being a messenger forever. She'll be fine, Rennie said, jerking a thumb toward Kate, as if Charlie might actually care. Falls down a lot. But she always recovers. What? Charlie said, looking at the boys for the first time. Rennie's face took on a sympathetic expression. Oh, I guess your mind's on other things since you're graduating. No one can blame me for that. I bet you're sad to go, aren't you? You'll miss all those special privileges. What special privileges? Charlie said warily. I don't remember any special privileges. Being a messenger is a responsibility, a matter of leadership. When you're a messenger, you're so busy helping Mr. Curtin that you hardly have time to think. In fact, Charlie said, looking disappointed now, in fact, it seems like only yesterday I was made a messenger, and now I'm going home already. I've been so busy that everything in between seems like a blur. Busy doing what? Sticky asked. Behind them, S.Q. was struggling to help Kate back to her feet. Kate was making it difficult by slipping on things that had spilled from her bucket. Charlie grew agitated. He glanced left and right, then fixed them with a decidedly suspicious look. I can't say. But why not? Rennie urged. Did they threaten you? Can you tell us anything? Charlie shook his head doubtfully. He seemed to be considering, though, and the boys felt their hopes rise. 
Then he shook his head again, more vigorously this time. He seemed extremely distressed by their questioning. I can't say, he repeated. I really can't. Lucky to be alive, as he was saying to Kate, behind them. Then his voice sharpened. Hey, you boys get away from Charlie. Okay, bye, Charlie, Rennie said quickly, and Sticky gave a playful salute. But Charlie only stared at them with a distraught expression, as if they'd done him some grievous wrong. Casting the boys a disapproving look, Askew took Charlie's arm and led him away toward the exit. Any luck? asked Constance, who had finally come down the corridor and was just standing there, conspicuously unhelpful, as Kay gathered her things. Rennie picked up Kate's slingshot and handed it to her. He isn't talking. He wouldn't say why. I did all that for nothing? cried Kate, dismayed. I'm not sure, Rennie said. There's something curious about what Charlie said. Something, he frowned. I'm going to have to think about it. Anyway, Kate, don't tell us you didn't enjoy doing that, Sticky said. That's true, I did, Kate admitted with an impish grin. How did it look? Like you fell out of an airplane, Rennie said as they started toward the cafeteria again. Really? Kate gazed at him with shining eyes. She was deeply touched.